All right, children ages three to six, you are free to go to children's church at this time. You can head to the back. Today we are continuing in our series on the gospel of Jesus according to Mark. We've come now to part 18 entitled, Hidden Truths Revealed, But Are We Listening? Hidden Truths Revealed, But Are We Listening? Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through it, the hidden truths, the mysteries of all uh, ages past and ages to come are revealed through it. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear your word today. Give us hearts to understand that by your Holy Spirit, you would grant us understanding to follow your word and to truly listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I begin this morning with a rather old joke. This is a joke that I first heard, I'm sure, as a teenager, and there's a few different versions of it, because it's one of those jokes where you can sort of fill in the blank with whoever you want in the butt end of the joke. So I'll tell it to you the way that it was first told to me. It goes that there were two Saskatchewan Rough Riders fans... Now you can know who I filled in the blank and how it was told to me. So these two Rough Riders fans, they heard about an offer for a $50 all-inclusive cruise exclusively for Rough Riders fans. So the one fan said to the other, Well, it sounds like it could be a scam, but I'm going to check it out anyways. So he went down to where the cruise was being offered. He laid his 50 bucks down on the counter and he said to the man behind the counter, I'm a Riders fan. Look at my jersey. I've got the, the melon on my head. You know, I'm 100% a Riders fan. Please sign me up. And so the man behind the counter said, as you wish. And so he scooped up the money. He pulled out a club and he hit the fan over the head and knocked him out cold. Well, the next thing the fan knows, he's waking up and he's floating on an inner tube in the middle of a farm pond. Next to the pond was a crude sign pounded in with fence posts and green spray paint that said on it, Riders, Fans, Cruise. So as the man's taking all of this in, he's noticing now that someone floating along beside him in another inner tube was another Rough Riders fan, just like him. And so the first Riders fan turns to the second and he asks him, Well, do they at least serve food on this cruise? To which the second fan replied, I doubt it. At least they didn't last year. <laughs> now, of course, we may have a chuckle at that, unless you're a Riders fan, that is, and then now you're just going to be mad at me. You're not going to listen to a word I have to say, right? The fact is, we can all be slow learners sometimes, can't we? Right? The, the fan, that's the whole point, right? He, two years in a row he signed up, right? He's a slow learner, we could say, and we all can be slow learners sometimes about certain things, especially. Now, when we say this, we, of course, typically think of ourselves as not being that slow of a learner. You know, I'm pretty smart in some areas, matter of fact. And we tend to think about the areas that we specialize in, that we may even consider ourselves experts in. But the truth is that even if we are especially smart or quick to understand in one area... That, that doesn't necessarily mean that we will be the same in another area. 
You know, simply because someone has a high IQ when it comes to measuring, uh, you know, their, their mental acuity, their intellect, that does not automatically mean that they will have an equally high IQ when it comes to spiritual things or spiritual intelligence. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 makes this point clear. There Paul writes, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this world, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So here we see that there's, there's two different types of wisdom and two different types of foolishness. There's that which is according to the world standards of wisdom and foolishness, and then there's God's standards of wisdom and foolishness, and they're not the same thing. Now, this is sadly accurate as a summary of the religious rulers and many of the Jews who made up the crowds that were listening to Jesus' teaching, which we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark. Now, we've already seen how Jesus has gone head-to-head with the Pharisees, who were the elite religious rulers of that time. He's gone against them many times already, as they have begun to now attack him. Because according to the Pharisees' own man-made standards, they were the smart ones. They were extremely intelligent. For in their thinking, hadn't they memorized the entire Torah? You know, they could quote any one of the verses of the Torah. Furthermore, hadn't they extrapolated all of the principles of God's law and then vigorously applied them to each and every aspect of life? Hadn't they done that? Hadn't they in turn, set the bar for the entire nation of what godly living and morality looked like. So in their minds, they were the smart ones. So how could they possibly be lacking in spiritual intelligence or understanding? And yet, that is exactly the charge that Jesus brought against them. For again and again, he told them, you have ears to hear, but you do not hear. You have eyes to see, but you do not see. And so he's saying that despite the fact that by the world standards, you all have PhDs and doctorates, according to God's standards, you haven't even begun kindergarten yet. And so while the crowds continued to flock to Jesus for the miracles, because they were undeniable, he was performing countless miracles of healing people and feeding people, and exercising demons. People flocked for that, and yet the majority of the people in those crowds did not understand the true meaning of Jesus' teaching. They did not understand the true purpose for which he had come, and furthermore, because of their spiritual blindness, and then their pride to think that they weren't blind, most of them didn't even try to understand. They just assumed that they already had it. So turn with me now to Mark chapter 4, and we'll look again at this passage which was read for us earlier. Mark 4, and there I'll read for us the whole passage again of verses 21 to 25. Jesus said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. 
Whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. Now, this passage can initially sound a lot like a riddle. And it is a riddle after a certain kind. It can also be somewhat confusing because it sounds very similar to the Sermon on the Mount wherein Jesus said, you don't put a lamp under a bowl. Instead, you put it on its stand so everyone can see it. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Now, in this passage, however... While Jesus begins by using the same analogy of not hiding a lamp under a bowl or under a bed, and you put it up on its stand so it does its job, it's designed to shine light, so don't hide it away. He uses that same analogy. Here, the application is he's not talking about the light of our witness, so letting the light of our good deeds shine into the world. Instead, here, the application is that he refers to how the light of the truth, which is God's truth, The light of the truth is not meant to be hidden away, but instead it is meant to be put on display. He then proceeds to explain that whatever is hidden and whatever is concealed, again referring to the previously hidden and concealed truths of God, he says they are in fact meant to be disclosed. They are meant to be brought out into the open. And in fact, what he was doing was just that. Jesus was revealing the secrets of God's kingdom to the world through his parables, through his miracles, and through his life. He was revealing this right in their hearing, even as he taught to them. Now, the reason we can know this for certain is when we go back to Mark chapter 4 and verse 11. Jesus had just told the parable about the sower, the seeds, and the soil conditions, But the disciples, they didn't get it. They were confused by the parable. So they asked Jesus, what does it mean? And he explained to them, verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. And so Jesus is saying that embedded within each of his parables are the secrets of the kingdom of God. They are being revealed. Truths that had long since been hidden were now being put up on display like a brightly lit lamp put up on its stand for all to see. But now there's just one catch. And the catch is this. Jesus is revealing these truths of the kingdom through parables. Now, parables, like I just shared, they can sound a little bit like a riddle. The meaning is not immediately evident when you hear them the first time. So therefore, most of the people who heard Jesus' parables didn't recognize what they were hearing. They didn't recognize what they were seeing. They didn't truly understand the deep truths of God that was being revealed through them. And it begs the question, why? Because they were earthly minded and not spiritually minded. And so we jump ahead momentarily to Mark 4, verses 33 and 34. And there we read, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And so here we see that Jesus used parables exclusively as the teaching medium for the masses. Now, why did he do this? Well, as R.A. Cole explains in his commentary on Mark, Jesus taught by parables 
a system of instruction specifically designed to sift the wheat from the chaff among his hearers. Other teachers might rejoice when great crowds followed them, but not so the Lord, for he knew only too well the mixed motives of the human heart. Here we find a strange teacher. His parables are designed to test not the intelligence, but the spiritual responsiveness of his hearers. And so the Lord is using parables to see, are you spiritually hungry? Are you spiritually thirsty? Are you spiritually understanding? Because only they would truly be able to understand by digging deeper. And like the disciples going to the Lord to say, we don't fully understand this, but we want to, we desire to. Please explain it to us. You see, they were hungry for understanding. And so the Lord Jesus challenges both them and us today with ultimately the same question. Are we earthly-minded, with earthly understanding, or are we spiritually-minded, with spiritual understanding? Are we really and truly listening to Jesus' words? Are we eagerly and diligently seeking a deeper understanding of the truth? Are we then allowing that truth to soak into every aspect of our lives, transforming how we live? That this isn't just a mental exercise we we do on Sunday morning to say, I checked that box, now I keep on living how I lived before. No, what we experience, what we hear, what we encounter from God's word should have an application. That we say, how is my life coming under this truth? How am I aligning every aspect of my life according to the truth? Or the alternative is something like this. Are we just nodding along? Mm Mm-hmm, yep, I got that. Because that's what most of the crowds were doing. They flocked for the miracles, and Jesus was teaching, but they were just, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, yep, we understand, we got that. But they were just nodding along. They were content with what they thought they already knew. They were complacent in the false belief that Jesus had very little, if anything more, to teach them. And sometimes we can fall into the same very dangerous position. We think, yeah, yeah, I know all of that. I got it already. I have nothing left to learn. Well, if so, we need to listen closely to Jesus' words of caution to his own disciples. Mark 4, 23 and 24, in the middle of this teaching, Jesus, speaking to his twelve, challenges them with these words. Listen. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This wasn't to the crowds. This was to his own disciples. He adds one more instruction to them. Consider carefully what you hear. So first he says, are you really listening? Are your ears truly open? If they are, listen carefully. Consider carefully what I am saying to you. Don't just nod along and say, yeah, yeah, we got that. Consider it. Weigh it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Apply the truth to your life. Don't just nod along. Consider it carefully. There's another humorous story told. This is, in fact, a true story of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR as he was known. He often endured long receiving lines at the White House, which is something that presidents have to do. And one time he complained that during these long receiving lines where everyone just sort of wanted to shake the president's hand, that's really the main reason they were there, he complained that no one really paid any attention to what he said. And so one day... 
during a reception, he decided he would try a fun little experiment. And so to each person who passed down the line and shook his hand, he murmured fairly softly, I murdered my grandmother this morning. What was that? (laughs) I murdered my grandmother this morning. And just as he suspected, as he murmured that, shaking people's hands, the responses were phrases like, Marvelous! Keep up the good work, sir! We're proud of you! God bless you! You have my vote! And it wasn't until the very end of the line, while greeting, I believe it was, the ambassador from Bolivia, that his words were actually heard. For nonplussed, the ambassador leaned closer to Roosevelt and then whispered back, I'm sure she had it coming, sir. (laughs) And so I ask, do you have ears to hear? Are you listening? Are you considering carefully what you hear when we listen to the teaching of the Lord? For either way, whether we are truly listening to Jesus or not, whether we're just nodding along, there will be consequences or blessings in either direction accordingly. And these consequences or blessings will multiply themselves. So this is Jesus' next part of this teaching. Verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now again, this sounds a little bit like a riddle, so let's solve the riddle. Whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. What does Jesus mean by this? Was it if a person has a lot of money that they then get a lot more money, and the person who only has a little money, what little he has will be taken away? Now, while there may seem to be some truth to that as we look at how the world works, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He is not talking about money. So, was it that a person who has a lot of food gets even more food, but the person who has only a little food has that little bit taken away? No, again, Jesus was not talking about food or any material thing. So, what was Jesus talking about? Well, let's remember the context of this passage. He is still talking about God's truth. So the riddle is this, that if you have some of God's truth, and you listen, and you act upon that truth, and that truth becomes a part of your life, then that truth that you have will act as the catalyst, opening the doorway to you receiving and understanding more truth, and more truth, and more truth, as it multiplies itself in your life. So you have a little, you're going to get more. But then the other side is this. If you have a little truth, but you just kind of nod along to it and you ignore that truth and you don't act upon that truth, then Jesus says, even that little bit that you have will be taken away from you. You will lose it. On this spiritual principle of multiplication in either direction, whether truth versus lies or good versus evil, C.S. Lewis once wrote, Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. So you see, every time we indulge in evil, every time we believe a lie, 
those things will continue to multiply themselves over into unforeseen and often devastating consequences later on. They're not just one thing. They set off a chain reaction of things. One act of evil. One belief in a lie. They will multiply themselves over. However, on the flip side, every time we do good, every time we believe and embrace the truth, that too will multiply itself over into blessings, both here on earth and most importantly, into eternity in heaven. So let me give you both a negative and a positive example of both of these things in practice. Now, the negative example is the most famous of all. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You shall not eat of the tree, of any tree in the garden? Did God really say, Now we know this story, I think most of us know it well. Adam and Eve are in the garden, it was perfect. One command, don't eat from this tree. Just one command. And the serpent, who of course is Satan, who's taken on this form, he plants just one lie. Did God really say? Now many would say, well, it's just one little lie. It's not that big a deal. But here's the big deal. The big deal is that because Adam and Eve believed just one lie, that by eating from the tree that God had forbidden them to eat from, that they wouldn't surely die, they believed one lie, the consequence was that sin entered the world and along with it, all of its devastating consequences, which, yes, have been multiplying themselves over and over and over again ever since. Because right now, today, we don't have to look far to see that all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the sickness, all of the hatred, all of the war, and all of the death that we still see today is the consequence multiplying itself over again and again of our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, believing just one lie and acting upon it. So no matter what, believing lies always lead to unforeseen consequences. Some are bigger and some are smaller, but we've got to remember that Satan, the father of lies, he makes sure that hidden within each of those sweet lies that he dresses up, hidden within them is a bitter pill that will be swallowed with it. And so to this, the truth is the only antidote. And so here for a positive example, we turn to a true story of a man named Charles Smith. He was raised in a devout Jehovah's Witness family. Now, he proceeded from that upbringing to zealously work his way up within the Jehovah's Witness world in in the, uh, the Kingdom Halls and the Watchtower Society. He worked his way up for 37 years, diligently. No one could say that they were more diligent in the work than he was. Now, if you don't know much about Jehovah's Witnesses, within their core doctrines where we would have our major parting of ways with them, is that they deny that Jesus Christ is God. And further, they teach a workspace salvation, whereby you essentially have to work your way to receive salvation. However, no Jehovah's Witness can ever truly know when or if they've done enough to be saved. 
And so they have to live with this uncertainty. I, I don't know if I'm saved. And so Charles Smith was the same, 37 years of devout service. And yet he still didn't know if he was saved. Whereas the Bible clearly states that salvation is a free gift of God's grace. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. We can only receive it. It is a free gift and it must be freely received in the same way. And we do that by putting our faith in Jesus to forgive us our sins, to be born again into God's family. That is the only way. But for Charles, he was raised under the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and so he zealously worked to convert more people into the JW's way of faith and belief. But in his quiet moments, he often had this nagging doubt reemerge over and over again. Have I done enough? Am I saved? Am I going to heaven when I die? And then one day, outside of a kingdom hall meeting, he noticed someone standing there not saying anything, but just holding a sign that read 1 John 5, verse 13. Just the reference. He thought of that 1 John 5, 13. I know that one. I'll look it up later. And so he did. 1 John 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The verse shocked him. He tried reading it again. Had he somehow misread it? These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know, and it kept repeating itself over and over in his head all night, that you may know. Now Charles was shocked, he was confused, and he was curious to learn more because he didn't know. After 37 years of working his way up in the organization, he still didn't know if he was saved. He didn't even know that he could know. And so Charles then took up the rather unusual step of reading the verse in context and then studying it further for himself. And to his astonishment, much of 1 John 5 was contrary to what he had been taught within the Jehovah's Witnesses. When he finally asked his elders about it, they simply told him, hey, don't worry about it. That's not stuff you need to concern yourself with. But Charles could not stop worrying about it. He struggled with this chapter for a year before finally deciding that he had to truly know or go mad. And so finally he knew that he had to do what the Bible said. He had to put his faith in the true, divine Jesus as his Savior. And that is what he did. And at that very moment, he knew in his heart, without any doubt that he was saved, that he had eternal life. And Charles later said, I began then telling my family about my faith in Christ. And people looked at me like I was crazy. He then wrote letters to many of his relatives, telling them about the truth of the gospel that he had discovered. And immediately, he was called into a meeting with a committee of J.W. elders who then called him a wolf in the flock. They excommunicated him. Then his wife divorced him, and both of his children would not speak to him for many years. But despite those heartaches, Charles had no regrets, for he knew the truth, and the truth had set him free. And so he persevered in his faith and in his efforts to reach more J.W. people who were just like he had been who he knew were still living as captives to the same lie that had once imprisoned himself. And those efforts were not in vain. And some years later, his own daughter became so impressed by her father's newfound faith and conviction that she also put her faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. 
Charles eventually became a pastor and is now well into his 70s, and he continues to lead a ministry which focuses specifically on equipping folks on how to share the full truth of Jesus Christ with Jehovah's Witnesses. So as a result of just one man rejecting a lie and believing the truth of Jesus Christ, not only was Charles saved, but his daughter was saved, and many more JWs have been saved, and countless more are still being impacted as the blessings continue to multiply and multiply. And so today, may we be among those with ears to hear, with eyes to see, with hearts to embrace the whole truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we listen closely and consider carefully the whole counsel of God's word. May we seek diligently to grow in our understanding of the truth so that by it, we can more clearly recognize the lies, that we can then expose them and dispel their darkness in the light of God's truth. For ultimately, all truth comes from God. All truth belongs to him, and it all points back to him. For as Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so allow me to ask you today, are you walking in the light of life? Are you walking in the light of Jesus? Or are you walking in the dark, trying to find your own way through life without him? For either way, I guarantee you that your answer will make all the difference of which direction your life will ultimately take. There's a song by DC Talk. It's called In the Light. Some of you will know it. Some of you will have heard it before. It sums this whole concept up very well, and it goes like this. I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I am the king of excuses. I've got one for every selfish thing I do. What's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a savior. The disease of self runs through my blood. It's cancer fatal to my soul. Every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring this sickness under control. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. O Lord, be my light and be my salvation. All I want is to be in the light. Is that your desire today? To be in the light. To walk in the light. To live in the light of Jesus. My hope and my prayer is that is so. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the light of our souls. You are our salvation. There is none other apart from you. And we thank you that all truth is your truth. And we thank you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you can open our ears to hear. You can open our eyes to see. Not physically, Lord, but spiritually to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And that, Lord, that you have opened the doorway for any one of us to enter in through faith alone, in you alone, because of what you've done for us. And so, Lord Jesus, may your light shine in our hearts this very moment. Penetrate the darkness, Lord. Dispel the lies. Reveal them. 
that they may be corrected and brought in alignment under your truth, that we may live according to your truth, so that your truth may multiply itself over in blessings in our lives and from our lives, over and over again, as you see fit. This is our heart's desire today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.